from Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. This is the podcast version of our webcast, so some of the slides may be missing, but you can find the entire episode on our YouTube channel. This is Highly Caffeinated Security, ways to learn more, network, and wake up your inner hacker with BHAS testers Bo Bullock and Mike Felch, and your host, me, Sierra. Sierra kind of schedules these out pretty far in advance for us. We do kind of a bad job of preparing a lot of times for these webcasts when they happen. But not you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, never us. Uh, Mike and I were just chatting, and we were going over uh, you know, a few different technical subjects. We just kind of started talking about like other ideas and maybe not doing a technical webcast this time around. And something that we thought might actually be really useful, something that we get asked a lot. Uh, we, oftentimes, like when we're at conferences or if we're working a booth, uh, you know, a lot of times we get asked by people who are new to security, even even people who've been in security for a, a long time, what are some things that, that we do that helped us to kind of get where we are? What are some things that they should be doing? How do you get into InfoSec? And I think this webcast will kind of cover a lot of that. So Mike, he, he kind of betrayed me a little bit. He moved away and we can't be like, you know, super close, like hang out at the same meetups anymore. <laughs> and we lived like right next to each other practically. Like literally. <laughs> next to each other yeah so anyways he he moved out there and had to kind of rebuild um a new f- set of friends and family out my there my life for my whole life <laughs> <laughs> let's just kind of i guess talk about us for a minute sure. we um we both work at uh black hills information security mike uh, you can go ahead and give your own thing so, about you. so i was with uh OWASP orlando and b-sides orlando shout out to my b-sides crew that was like my community out there and now I'm no more. And then also I have started a meetup here locally in Arizona called EVSEC for East Valley Security, another city sec meetup. Yeah, similar. Um, you know, we, we have uh, Cigar City Sec and also Citrus Sec, which Ian, who's on, is actually the main organizer now of the Citrus Sec meetup. And both of them have been booming quite a bit. So, so we have three different meetups in Central Florida now. Um, and they, they happen on the second, third, and fourth Wednesday of every month. So there's a lot of a lot of networking that can happen if you live in Central Florida or, or around here. Um, we also do a show called CoinSec Podcast. Um, it's a show about cryptocurrency security. All right, so kind of a brief overview of this entire thing. Um, we're we're going to talk about networking with others and kind of building your community around you and information security and meeting people. And then we're going to talk about how to go about presenting presenting your content in multiple ways, not just at a conference, but uh, you know other other methods as well. We're going to talk about um, information sources, how how you can quickly obtain a lot of information quickly quickly, quickly, uh, how you can how you can take in and not waste time and getting the newest information out there. Uh, we're also going to talk about some hacking challenges, and then we will conclude it with a few notes. So this is a picture from a kind of joint meetup between our two groups here in, in uh, Central Florida. This was uh, one of the times, one of the occasions, where we had, we had a, a really great turnout of a lot of security professionals. We wanted to make a point that joining a meetup is such a huge way to meet with others. I mean, Mike, I mean, I know you just started a new one, right? Yeah. So when I first left Florida, like I was, I was a major part of my life was the community there, that, that aspect. In fact, if you remember, um, we were going to Cigar City Sec for a while. And then one day I was like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah, so I might be looking for a, a job. So I might be looking to move on in my career. And that was when I told you that at a meetup, we were, right. we were having a beer, we were in the back, I told him that, and then 
Monday I got a call from John, but it was really cool how just, you know, living life with each other in the community like this and, and just hanging out and developing relationships has led into, you know, me being here. Um, so that's mm -hmm. like a, a good example of why, I mean, just, I mean, this place is amazing and I wouldn't have been able to be here without attending a, a meetup and it wasn't intentional. It was just kind of organic. And I think that's the beauty behind it. It's like vendor free. Yeah, that's that's a huge kind of staple of the CitySec meetup. So CitySec is kind of like an idea where you have these hosted meetups where there's no schedule, there's no uh, vendors that are there trying to sell you something. It's strictly just go hang out with some some peers and talk about security, talk about InfoSec. Whenever I first started looking at having a meetup in Central Florida like this, there was one in Orlando called it was Central Florida City or is a Central Citrus Florida InfoSec. No, oh. it was before CitrusSec actually. Yeah, so before CitrusSec was CitrusSec, it was Central Florida InfoSec group. And that one was basically uh, every you know week or month or so, we tried to do a presentation and it ended up just like the hosts being, you know, the ones doing the same presentation every month, running out of content. So we, we learned about CitySec and learned like, okay, well maybe we should just be hanging out and actually talking about the problems that we have at the current places we're working. Um, what are some things we're working on? What are some new projects? You don't need technical talks to to learn something new, you know, you can you can communicate with others and interact to get a better understanding about something. Yep. And if there's not one in your local area, just create one. I mean, that's really ultimately what I did when I was looking out here to see what community I could be a part of out here. I knew there were some organized ones like the OWASP and the DevCon groups and some mm -hmm. ACTIA groups. Um, but I was looking for something informal, like a city sec environment like that, and there really wasn't anything that I've seen at least, and I didn't know anybody. So I kind of just bought a meetup account, created a meetup. We had like 20 people show up at the first one and it was only like a four or five day heads up. So it was really cool and didn't take really no effort. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge turnout. That's awesome. We, we, we talked a little bit about kind of catering this towards people who are new to InfoSec too. So we kind of wanted to include some items for collegiate or high school uh, students as well. So um, I don't know if anyone is in college currently or high school student listening to this, um, but if you are, uh, and you are not aware that many colleges actually have InfoSec hacking groups. Um, they do. And most of them from, from like, I know, for example, like, uh, like Hack UCF, like they do uh, weekly presentations, right? Uh, some sort of topic. They also perform in the collegiate cyber defense competition together. So, you know, if you're into, if you're, if you're wanting to learn more about information security, there's no way to, to jump right into it head first than joining like an InfoSec or hacking group um, yeah. at a college. Yeah, I'd agree. That, and there's a lot of competitions like you have here listed. I mean, there's a lot of cool ways. To, there's a lot of big benefits. Even if you're not in school, you can get connected to these groups. I mean, I, I didn't go to UCF, but I was fairly connected with a lot of the, the Hack UCF team um, just from the local meetups and then doing um, some presentations at UCF. But it's just been really cool to help guide people that have the questions of, well, what next in my career? Where do I go from here? How do I get connected with a good job? Or, and, and so if you're a part of the industry already and you're not tied to a collegiate high school um, group, it'd be a great way to connect because when you do that, you're guiding these students who are looking to get into the industry who are gonna eventually probably come work with you anyway. But it's really cool to kind of help channel that and, and to start pouring into other people because I think that's one of the, the, the key pillars of what this industry really needs is, is being able to, to give back. And then with that, you know, these groups, there's so many different ways that you could benefit from joining one of these groups. So um, what I did here on this information, because obviously I didn't go, right? So I didn't go to UCF. So my friend Robert um, was part of Hack UCF. 
And um, so I was like, hey, I got some questions for you. And so I said, if you were at school and you were giving some recommendations to some students, how would you encourage them to connect with these groups? And one of the things that he was saying was to attend the tech talk or workshops, because they always put these on um, on a regular basis. And it gives you like an open door to kind of join and kind of listen and see and then also connect. He also said that one of the things that um, is a good way to do it is at different conferences, a lot of these clubs will go to compete um, in these different technical challenges, CTFs and things. So he was saying that when you when they're at these conferences, if you go to the conferences, you can connect in that way. And then also um, on the bulletin boards in the school subreddit was a lot of information usually about these kind of clubs. And there's all kinds of benefits, um, you know, hanging out with people in school that have like-minded interests was, was a benefit he was mentioning. But then he also says, he said on both sides of being able to pour into people and then and learn from and learn from them, right? So there's stuff that you're going to be around people and, and you're going to have experience, technical experience that you don't know that you could benefit from. But also you're going to have some technical experience that you can pour back in. Um, and then the other benefit is obviously you make industry contacts. I can't tell you how many people I know from Hack UCF that went to Microsoft, that went to Seattle, to go to Amazon, who went to Northrop Grumman, to all of these, you know, really nice security programs through Hack UCF and just going um, through the channel. So super cool stuff. Definitely. So um, attending conferences is, is a huge part of the InfoSec world, both attending and presenting. Uh, we kind of want to talk about here a little bit. So attending, it's another opportunity to meet people that are doing what you want to do. So if there's somebody who's giving a technical talk at a, at a conference, being there is the best way to, well, one, you can ask questions in person. Secondly, you can network with them and maybe even learn uh, a problem that you could help with. with a, maybe there, there's a project they're working on that uh, you could actually participate in. I mean, Mike, we, we go to conferences all the time. We meet a ton of people all the time. Yeah. You know, one thing that I would say, too, um, on the attending, this goes for both, I guess. One thing that you could do if you attended a talk, and, and you don't have to have any connections with anybody. If you just went to a conference and went to a talk, one thing that you could do that would set yourself apart permanently in the eyes of a speaker is right after their talk, really give them kudos, no matter how good or how bad the presentation was, because the most vulnerable portion of a person's time is right before they give a talk and right after they give a talk. So if they come down off the stage and you walked up to them and you just gave them really encouraging words, guaranteed not only did you just lift that person up and give them the confidence to be able to continue to give back, but you've also probably just made a friend because a mm -hmm. lot of people don't do that, right? I mean, there are people that will give kudos, but a lot of them will come up and try to like correct you and say, well, you know, oh you talked gosh. about XML too much and it should have been more technical. <laughs> that was actually what happened to me one time when I gave a talk on, um, on XML, external entities. He was like, yeah, it was a great talk, but uh, you, I think you, you put too much emphasis on talking about XML. People know what XML is. This is a technical audience. And I was like, whoa, like, you know what I'm saying? So you don't want to do that. That's a really bad idea. Um, but also- Well, you remember gonna... him. Oh, I do. And I know I hate <laughs> But the other side of it is when you're presenting, be aware that that could happen. And so guard yourself afterwards and right before, because you don't want somebody to steal your thunder right before you get up and give a talk, because that'll you'll never give a talk again. And you don't mm -hmm. want that. I mean, you're going to have mistakes. You're going to mess up and stuff. But. That actually brings up a good point, too. Um, so in terms of you know doing a talk in front of an audience, you don't have to pick like one of the top conferences or like the most important. Like don't shoot for like a DEF CON as your first talk. <laughs> um, I would recommend first, like do something with a local group. Let's say you do have a local OWASP group or there's... I don't know, some sort of local security group that's not necessarily like a city set group that doesn't do presentations. But if there is one that, that allows you to do a presentation in front of a smaller group of peers that you know they're not going to just like, you know, 
tear into you, <laughs> that's probably a good way to get some experience speaking. Yeah, and B-sides, B local B-sides conferences are really great because mm -hmm. a lot of them usually have like a first time talk track or kind of like a yes. beginner track. And, uh, and they'll also provide you with some assistance too. A lot of them are, at least the B-Sides Orlando. I mean, if you if you emailed us at B-Sides Orlando and said, hey, this is my first time giving a talk. I'm really nervous. What can we do? Um, I mean, we would have somebody that would be there to kind of help you usher through that just because by nature, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get you encouraged and want to get connected more. And we know that if we can help facilitate that, then you'll be better at what you do. And then it's a win-win all the way around. Um, we had a question about what B-Sides is, and B-Sides is just a nonprofit organization. What, how would you describe B-Sides? Yeah, so B-Sides is a nonprofit organization that has small organizations disparately separated across geographic lines, and they come together like B-Sides Orlando will have a team of people that just kind of band together and organize a conference from start to finish. And so B-Sides is kind of just the parent organization when you see, if you go to like besides Las Vegas, besides Orlando, so just kind of spread out in different conferences, they run independently, but they are kind of under the umbrella of. And I would general. say they have like a very similar like feel, very kind of education. Yeah, non-defcon community. Mm -hmm. That actually brings up a few conferences we we're going to talk about. So, well, what's Hack and Fest? Uh, we also love DerbyCon. Uh, DerbyCon is one of our favorite conferences that happens in Louisville, Kentucky every year. DefCon obviously is is one of the the big ones that most people know about. And then we kind of already talked about B-Sides events. The thing that I would like to note though is that usually B-Sides events are either free or really cheap. Oftentimes for students, it's free. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen a B-Sides conference that hasn't offered free attendance for students. But uh, yeah, I mean, like like Mike said, they're held, held in many locations around the world. I don't even know how, how many are there in the U.S. now. There's There's got to be, I don't know, what, 50? <laughs> I have no idea. B-sides, I have like hundreds more than you could possibly even consider going to. Yeah, so it's likely you have one near-ish to you. <laughs> yeah, within driving distance for sure. If yeah. you live anywhere close to a city, there's one. And if you're in somewhere smaller, there still could be one, so... Mm -hmm. And in all honesty, you're going to get a similar experience going to a B-Sides event that, that you would going to like one of these other conferences like Wild West Hack and Fest, DerbyCon. It's just a little no, small. No, no, Usually... no, no, sorry. No conferences like Wild West Hack and Fest. Oh, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like similar in the sense that you're going to have you're going to have talks that happen. You're going to have CTFs. Yeah. You're going to have Lockpick Villages. They're all awesome and people are really friendly. So, yes. Oh, yes. we can't talk about B-Sides without talking about Jack Daniel, too person that kind of started the whole B-Sides project overall. Super veteran in the industry. He's been around for a really long time and he's awesome. So yeah, so Slack. Um, I'm just going to talk about this slide because Bo doesn't Slack. Um, he yeah. says he'll Slack. He'll join your Slack. Slack he won't, hater. I'm there. I'm but there. he won't. I lurk. I'm a lurker. I'm a lurker. Um, so yeah, connect on the Slack server. This is great. It's kind of like the old school IRC. So if you've been like an IRC guy or girl for a really long time back in the day, Slack's like the new hipster IRC. Um, I actually like it now more than IRC, which I never thought I would say because I was always one of those haters that was like, no, IRC is going to be for life. <laughs> but there's a couple of them on here. Um, so I originally, I started Central Sec at my last employer, and it was kind of this idea that Jeff Toth from Besides Orlando and I came up with to kind of bring blue teams and red teams together. And then I don't know what happened. Like it just sat idle for a really long time. And then we started organizing it. And then besides Orlando kind of dropped the channel on their tool, dropped the channel. So a lot of different like smaller organizations kind of started making it their channel on the Slack server. So you could join that and um, and you can connect. And then this past um, CTF for SANS, the SANS Holiday Hack, they kind of uh, officially or unofficially, I'm not really sure how it happened, but 
they started retweeting that there was a channel when everybody got together and we all kind of just hacked through the challenges together. And it's just been a really cool and way to, to connect. It started Central Florida and then now it's just everywhere. So there is not just a Central Florida thing there. But so I'd, I'd encourage you to join. You can register on any of these. Bloodhound has a chat. If you're familiar with Bloodhound Tool, Binary Ninja, if you're into like reverse engineering, these are just a couple of them, but it's a great way to connect with people, ask questions, give advice, collaborate on different things. Um, kind of the whole nine yards. So, so Slack is the way to go. Yeah, so um, mentors and mentees. Uh, so this is a, a huge thing that I think that we probably should see more of. Um, so if you're new to InfoSec, finding a mentor is really key. I think. I think that if you can find somebody that is willing to help you and guide you, even if it's just you know an, an hour a week or so, um, where they can kind of give you guidance on what you should be looking at, what you should be doing, maybe even from like an intern perspective, uh, like if you could help them with a project so that you get your kind of feet wet and you know what they're actually doing day to day. Don't be shy because many of us in InfoSec are really willing to help. We've gotten emails from people who are brand new and asking, you know, like, oh, hey, I saw your video on this. You know, here's here's some other questions I have about a similar topic. What are your thoughts? Um, that's fine. Like, don't be shy. Ask questions. Be curious. Uh, and if you're a pro, if you're somebody who's been in it for a while, um, consider helping show somebody the ropes. You know, consider being the one who is open and willing to answering those questions. Yeah, that's good. I actually got a message last week from somebody that was asking about being um, mentored. So it's funny that you can say that. All right, presenting content. So this yeah, is uh, <laughs> this, this is where we'll talk about presentations. Okay, so don't listen to Bo. Um, so through this whole, this whole side, um, don't wait until the night before to start on your slides. Probably a really bad idea. Um, and if Bo says, Scott Strand. Yeah, if Bo says that it's okay, don't listen to him because it's not okay to do them the night before. Don't come up with or change your demos at the last minute. Um, you don't don't even feel like you have to do a demo, especially if you're just starting on the presentation. Just because everybody else does demos in a, in a talk doesn't mean you have to. It's just kind of one of those things that people like to do. And it's fun and it makes the talk suspenseful. Um, but don't feel like you have to do that. Or if you okay. do, record it, to, you know, like have, have a backup in case there's failure. Uh, that's a scary. <laughs> yeah. And so I have OCD with slides, right? So. I'll go back after Bo's slides and I'll, I'll correct the alignment on every one of them and I'll color some of them. Then I typically go back and mess them up again just yes. to, to see what happens. Certainly he does. The <laughs> so this was the reason why it takes us three weeks to get a webcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, and then if you're going to do presentations, like don't do this many bullet points. How many do you think you should do, Bo? Like if you have too many beyond like a certain point, split it into two slides, I guess, maybe? Yeah, for sure. Oh, you know what we did um, at the last conference? Remember that one? Um, we didn't even put this in here. That, that would have been a really good bullet point. So we went to a conference, Bo and I went to Hack Miami. So we were really interested in this talk at the conference. And so we were sitting there. And I promise you, I'm not even joking, probably two to 300 words per slide. Like yes. it was font size eight, the whole entire slide. And the only reason why I'm even, I'm even going this, I would not normally dog a slide deck, but this presenter literally copy and pasted an entire blog that wasn't his into slides, verbatim read word for word, the slide deck. Bo and I were Googling it. We found yeah. the blog and we were able to know his presentation before he even got to the slides. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Now you could use other people's stuff, build off somebody's research, or you could even reference it, but reference it, don't steal it and make sure you give credit. I mean, it was, we actually ended up leaving. I felt really bad. Kind of wanted to say like encouraging words to him so that he didn't feel like he had to do that. Cause I don't know why he did that, right? I don't know if it was just cause it was last minute and he didn't prepare or I know it was actually last minute because they said that he, he was like a filler. But if you don't know the content, 
that's okay, I guess, in some mm -hmm. portions of it. But just like, I'm, if you ask me a question that I don't know, I'm just gonna be like, I don't know, I'll have to, I'll have to Google that. I'll have to look that up or follow back up with that, but don't do that. So I work backwards, right? I look at it. I don't know how you do it, Bo. Um, no, this is this is exactly how I do it. I mean, I so the outline first is, is always huge for me. Like, so whenever you're going to do a talk anywhere, you have to give them an abstract of sorts usually, which you generally is just like a paragraph, right? Some conferences actually make you send like an actual outline of the talk, meaning like bullet points of the points you're going to make during your talk. So I, I typically do that anyway, is just make the, the outline and, and like the bullet point list. And that ends up generally being the slides, right? Like each, each title slide for the most yeah. part. I find that helps create flow in a presentation because if you just start, you know, creating random slides, sometimes it doesn't necessarily put them in the right places in uh, context of the rest of the presentation. The most important thing is memes first, yes. content last. <laughs> <laughs> Add your memes Agreed. and then change them if it matches the content. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I, and we try to average like a slide per minute. And if you know you have 45 minutes and you should be shooting for less than 45 for sure. Um, but a lot of times slides will there just be like a placeholder and you're going to go into a new section to kind of separate it. So you can't really always count those and then leave room for any mishaps or questions or. Sorry, Ian has a very important question. He says, how dank should the meme be? Dank or dankest? It should be like <laughs> the dankest of danks. I mean. You don't so want to be too I, dank up front though. You want to bring the dankest at the right yeah. time. Like, Subtle. Subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's only so many cool coffee memes that you could come up with, but we think we, we found quite a few coffee. I don't know. Memes. You yeah. did. They're pretty funny. <laughs> this one I think is really important um, to any, anyone in honestly, any technical role, like uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be just infosec, but I mean, if you're a sysadmin, network admin, uh, start a blog. Um, it, it helps you learn how to write creatively. And, uh, you know, for, for the InfoSec side, we as pen testers write a lot of reports. Like it's not all just glorious hacking of systems and stuff. Like we spend the majority of our time writing and having that skill to actually write a report in a concise manner that gets your point across quickly. And is also an interesting read. It's not just, you know, person or, you know, tester ran in map. You have to like have some creativity there. <laughs> The other thing is it helps reinforce whatever topic that you are wanting to share. Being able to go into more detail enough to describe something to a point that somebody who's never never seen it before can understand it is going to help you understand it better. And that this kind of it's a theme that kind of goes across all the different information sharing topics, like doing a presentation, blogging. We're going to talk about podcasting in a little bit, video sharing, like all those things helps you really reinforce what it is that you are doing. One big point that I always want to make with people is that the topic that you're sharing doesn't have to be groundbreaking. Amen. Yeah. Actually, you preach that a lot, don't you, Sierra? Like anything. I do. Because you guys, I, there's often a lot of imposter syndrome where people are like, but that's already been written about 50 million times. And I'm like, but that doesn't matter. Or like people don't want to give a webcast because mm -hmm. well, everybody's already said it better than I can. No, because you have your own style. Yes, it's been said, but that doesn't matter. It can be said again. Are we still working in InfoSec? Then it can be said again. That's true. Exactly. That's just true. Yes. So freshening up older posts is another thing. Like if there's like, let's say you're you're using somebody's post to, to accomplish a goal. Let's say that you wanted to do password cracking and you Google search for how to how to crack passwords and you found a post telling you exactly how to do it. You went through the process yourself and then learned something new along the way 
you can freshen up that post a little bit by adding a little bit of content. Like it doesn't have to be groundbreaking and the guide on how to crack passwords, but it could right. just be as small as like, here's a new technique or here's some subtle thing that's different that stuff shows up in Google searches, you know, like the smaller things because people tend to search for very specific stuff. Um, well, and the thing we've learned is that like, if it's something that we're wanting to know about, if it's something we're trying to learn ourselves, it's a great blog post because if we're wanting to learn that, there's someone else that wants to learn it too. That's kind of a staple of like what we do here at Black Hills for the most part. I, th I think it's a very important part of our company is that we don't really keep a lot of information kept secret, like in terms of things that we find on pen tests, new things that we kind of come up with. I, I really love that about this company is that everything that we think's interesting, we, we try to like share with the community and develop more and more. Sierra definitely approves of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the other side um, of it is too, I think you could find like other people's work and then find a twist on how to incorporate that into something else. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've found a new vulnerability in some process of technology that was actually rooted in somebody else's research. I just found a way to twist it and reapply it in another in another sense and just built off that. And being able to write up your, your blog post on that is super beneficial because now you have a whole new topic to talk about, even though it just, it kind of originated from some research that you read on somebody else's blog. And always give credit where credit's due. You know, if you did happen to use somebody else's post for something, make sure you give them credit. When it comes to developing a new blog, there's a lot of different options out there, right? I mean, I think the, the cool new thing to do is start a medium blog. Is that, I think that's what yeah. kids are doing, right? Medium. <laughs> but you know, you there's a lot of options there. You could start a WordPress blog. Oh God, I'm in the duck wall. The InfoSec people like throw stuff. Guest blogging is huge though. Like that's another thing. Like if Guess you have blogging. some information to share like we do we've had how many guest bloggers sierra um we've had a few not as many as i would like so if you want to guest blog email me see exactly so if you want to have your post please, posted please. on slack hills blog <laughs> the problem with the blog is, is if you try to do it consistently is it definitely is a beast that needs to be fed all the time so you know like for us we're always looking for guest blogs and more blogs and more 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 but it's good awesome Hey, we have a couple of questions about blogging. Yes. Do you recommend using your own name or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I totally do. I think that it's very important to get your name out there. Like you're developing a resume, right? Like you're you're building your your brand. And if you are sharing things under your own name, you can point to that in a, in a resume that you give to somebody in person and show, hey, here's a bunch of things that I wrote. It also helps kind of build your awareness between members of the community too. Like if you're writing stuff and people are using your post to do something and then they see you at a conference and you know they know you by name now. I don't know, what are your thoughts, Mike? So I think it's a, I think it's great to do, and I think I talk about it a little bit later. But one of the things that um, that I would say is um, it is important for your resume. It's important for you to solidify these technical concepts. So as you're as you're learning or researching, if you blog about it, you're going to solidify it in your mind, right? So that's a that's a huge benefit. So using your name and tying it back to you is pretty good. If you're stealing content, it's a really bad thing because it could be a career <laughs> killer. But I think that's a really good thing. But the other the other side of it is don't let that drive you, right? Because a lot of people, and I see it all throughout the community, it's I care more about how many viewers I have or how many readers I have or how many people are following me on Twitter. I care more about those things. So. I'm going to come try to do something that's going to drive those. And while those are a good indicator, they shouldn't be the reason behind why you do what you do. Because then if you don't get that, then you're going to just, you're going to back out and you're not going to do it anymore because you're not getting the publicity that you might've thought you were going to get up front. 
And so it's because it's contingent on the fruit of what you're producing, you'll stop doing it. And that's, I think that's a super unhealthy way to do it. That's why I always try to keep a level head with everything that I'm doing. Yeah, I'd like to see, I like to celebrate, right? Because if I have a something that's on Reddit and it gets retweeted and it goes it goes through the community. I like to celebrate those things. I like to share with Bo, hey man, look, it's, this is what's happening. Those are celebratory. Those are good, right? But don't let that be the reason why you do it. So that's what I would say. I'd absolutely agree with that for sure. The other thing that, that we want to talk about sharing is doing tutorial videos. I think, so blogging is awesome. People like to read stuff. You know, it's very easy. Like, honestly, like I hate to say, it, but like if you're in a room with other people and you're just, you know, aimlessly searching on the internet for something to look at. Blogs are something you can read on your phone. It's, it's, it can go with you. Videos, not so much. But the thing with tutorial videos is that when somebody's looking to learn something and they're sitting down at a computer, it's very easy for somebody to just go to YouTube, type in, how do I do this? And find a video of somebody showing that. And I think that it translates really well whenever you have like a screen shared kind of demo that you're trying to show. So if you're trying to show, here's how I do this to exploit computer over here. And it, it translates really well to a video format because somebody can actually visualize what you're doing. They can see you open up the command prompt. They can see you type in the commands. And again, like this helps develop speaking skills as well. So Mike and I need to do it more often, but uh, Tradecraft Security Weekly is the one that we have been doing together for a while now. We both kind of work on a 10 minute to 15 minute kind of video of us talking about a specific topic. We typically do like five minutes of slides-ish somewhere on there and then do a demo um, along with it because we kind of think that showing it the content is something that really helps kind of translate what we're trying to talk about. Yeah, he, remember you started with like, oh, it just needs to be like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And now I've got your video up to like 15 minutes just because yeah. we're finding that good timing on what works, what doesn't work. And, and we get a lot of feedback too, right? A lot of people will say, I love the format. I love this. And so we'll try to tailor it for what makes sense, right? We don't want to put too much in there that doesn't make sense. I mean, we don't want it to kind of be straight to the point, but you can do anything. You don't have to just follow, you know, a specific um, format like a lot of people do. People are saying, I love Tradecraft security. Please keep doing it. Actually, you guys should tell that to Bo because it's his fault. <laughs> uh, Thanks. It's fun. No, it's fun. It's, it's, it was cool, like, just being able to – we'll be on an engagement in – we were doing an on-site. Remember that? We were doing an on-site in Denver. We're like, dude, let's do a Tradecraft. So we just, mm -hmm. like, busted out the, the table, put the microphone down, and just, like, recorded a video right there and hit it, like, first try. And it was just kind of cool to – just create content on as you go. It's fun. And then if you want to invest in just some tools to do that, right? So we have the Yeti microphone. microphone. Bo has it right there in his picture. Mine's mm -hmm. on the side. I bought it because Bo had it. And every time we were using it, it was awesome. I love it. It's only like 129 bucks on Amazon. And it's like omnidirectional. It's directional. It does all the cool professional stuff. Um, and then I have a cheap Logitech camera. It was like, it was less than 50 bucks. Um, I think they have a couple that are 50. They have some that are like 30. But you could do that. Um, and really, that's all you need. And then a topic. And the cool thing with that is you can use like some of the open source tools. I saw a question earlier that was in here about what software. You could take that one um, because I think you know better because we use your machine when we record. The Oh, the tools to record the videos? Yeah. Yeah. Like what open source is out there because somebody wants to buy expensive software for this. Yeah, so uh, the one that we were using for a little bit there was the um, the one that all the Twitch streamers use. Yeah. Honestly, the majority of the time now, we're just using GoToWebinar or GoToMeeting um, for the yeah. most part because we can kind of, I don't know, like it's it's really easy to set up. You don't have to worry about like having a new uh, meeting link every time. Like GoToMeeting now gives you like it, its own little custom ID that you can make so you can make like the same meeting for every 
single time you have a meeting. I ended up using a paid for software on Mac. Open broadcast software. Um, somebody yeah, said yeah, it was yeah. OBS. Yeah, that's, OBS. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That was the that was the uh, the open source one. Yep. Speaking of open source, <laughs> yeah, great way to contribute. Yes, I've heard this multiple times from people who are about to look at somebody's resume. They like to see that somebody has something they can go look at in terms of coding for the most part, especially in, in like InfoSec world, right? So starting a GitHub account or, or Bitbucket repo where you can actually upload your own code that you've written, um, even if it's small stuff, if you're just writing like shell scripts and, and just writing something that helps you get something done faster, having a repo of what you've accomplished is something that you can share. The other bigger thing is that you can contribute to projects that are already out there. So things like, you know, Metasploit, uh, PowerShell Empire is another huge one. You can go contribute to that and submit pull requests. Like just like, for example, with both those, you can write modules for anything. Like, so if you had like a brand new module for password spraying some random service or something, you could probably write a module for that and submit it as a PR. And then again, like add, add a link to it, to your resume. Both Mike and I have GitHub accounts and uh, have a few different pieces of open source uh, tools that we've put out there. Start a podcast. So Mike and I have the CoinSec podcast, which, which we started. We, we kind of like podcasts are making a comeback. I've seen a lot of people starting podcasts recently. And I think it's because a lot of people really enjoy listening to content while they're on a commute. They're working at a gym and they're you know running on a treadmill for an hour. <laughs> They've got time to consume something audibly. And audio is a really good format for that. I mean, I mean, I guess if you don't want to listen to an audio book, you could be listening to brand new content by the hour every single every single week, you know, of, of something. It gives a great alternative to written content. You can have dialogue with with your friends, you know, like Mike and I get to hang out every week and we just talk for an hour. It's fun. We have a great we have a great time doing it. Hint, I don't know if you guys knew, but BHAS has a podcast version of our webcast. <laughs> yes, and I have that listed on the next slide because I wanted to to. Oh, to man. I'm Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> to tell people that, uh, you know, Black Hills Podcast is brand new. It's brand new. It's it's a, all the webcasts, right, Sierra? So you have all the webcasts yes. audio. So like, Well, not including... all of them. Since a month ago, I guess we started. So we're, we're going to continue it. But yeah. And you also are doing some episodes that are strictly just like an audio only thing and not webcasts, correct? Yep. Yep. Our first one's going to drop this week. So pay attention. Yes. Security Weekly is another huge one. So we have Joff, uh, who is on Security Weekly. John does uh, Enterprise Security Weekly. Uh, we, Like I just said, we, uh, Mike and I, along with um, Ralph May and uh, Steve Vorosh, do the CoinSec podcast. Uh, Trusted Sec podcast is another awesome podcast to go check out. Risky Business, Breaking Down. There's a lot of security podcasts out there. Definitely you know, more than enough content for your commutes, if you have commutes. <laughs> I don't even have a commute, and I still listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Bronwyn says, how do you cope with webcast podcast overload? Good question. We're still That's, trying to figure it out. That is a great question. I tend to pick them based on like the personalities, right? So a lot of them will cover some of the similar content, especially in the security. They'll cover like some of the known breaches or whatever. So I try to gravitate towards a personality that kind of resonates or that keeps me listening, keeps me tuned in. Definitely. And also like in terms of the webcasts and podcasts and in general, just like anything, figure out what you want to learn because 
definitely some of these podcasts are more like news driven. Some of the webcasts actually are more informational. If you have like a specific goal, like let's say you want to be like a red teamer, you know, there's definitely like an avenue of shows to listen to that are more red team focused. If you're more of a blue teamer, there's definitely an avenue of shows that are more blue team focused. But I would say like focus on what you want to learn and then take in those specific things, you know, prioritize those anyway. Okay, so information sources. So things that, uh, where we get our content. All right, so Twitter is my favorite. I love Twitter. I, I think that it's fantastic. Great source of new info. Many InfoSec Twitter accounts share all the latest and greatest stuff. So if there's a brand new vulnerability that just got announced on some random website, some brand new, like, you know, logoed vulnerability just got popped up somewhere. That's going to be. First. Yeah, it's on Twitter <laughs> first, exactly. <laughs> the best advice I say is like, learn which accounts are providing useful content and make lists to filter out the non-useful ones because there are a ton of InfoSec Twitter accounts. Like if you just go to Twitter and type in hacking or information security, you're gonna get like thousands of accounts that show up. You could follow all of them, but to make sure that you're getting useful information, I would say like look through the ones that you are constantly like, oh wow, yeah, that was a very useful tweet to my career or to to what I want to learn and make a list out of those people. Secondly, I would say use TweetDeck. I love TweetDeck. Like I will keep it up like while I'm working. You know, I have like monitors in front of me that where I'm keeping day-to-day -day, like business going, but then I have TweetDeck open on another system where I can actually see and monitor the main feed and then the lists of people that I actually care care to like hear everything they have to say, like every single tweet. And then notifications, all that stuff, right? It, TweetDeck makes it really easy to kind of like focus on all those or see visualize all of them at the same time. Here's something to follow on Twitter. The Benny Shaw account for the content, I mean, she produces the best tweets. I mean, and she's really just aggregating a bunch of different sources, but pretty mm -hmm. much every one of the ones that she tweets is something that I like. I have it down to where I've tied it to Evernote using IFT3. So when I see a tweet that I really like, I just like it and it automatically creates an entry into my Evernote and then I have it in the Evernote folder so that I can go back and search later on. On Like if I see some content that I really wanted to follow up on, but I didn't have time at that moment, that's how I, I did it. Um, and Sans Pentest has a lot of really good tutorials that they post all the time, especially in preparation for like the Sans Holiday hack, they'll drop like 10 blogs. Um, so it's really cool to kind of do. And then one thing that I do is I created a blue team list um, because I like to follow what blue team is doing so that I could try to find ways to get around what blue team is doing. I just created a, a blue team list and it actually started with Tim Malcolm Vetter, I think, and I were talking about blue teams. Oh, we were doing a, a, friend, a friendly follow or Friday follow on Twitter. And so we were going to just Friday follow for blue team. And so I had to go through my entire list and we put we both put the lists together and then we kind of just shared them. I have a question over here real quick on on the how do I do the Evernote thing? So if you're familiar with the IFT3, so it's if this then that app, you could tie your different accounts together and it's kind of like an automated if this occurs then do this. And so what I've did is I tied it to my Twitter and I tied it to my Evernote. I've done I've used it other places too. I've done like my, every time my Nest thermostat changes temperature, it adds an entry into Google Sheets, and so I can keep track of my temperature in my house. I'm weird, I know, whatever. But <laughs> um, it saved me like $600 when my AC went out one day. But anyway, I so what I did was I tied my Twitter, and so when I see a tweet that I like, I just like it, and then if this then that, we'll see that liked tweet and add an entry into my Evernote notebook, and it puts the content of the tweet, the date, time, a link to it and then what was said. 
So it's just kind of a way for me to kind of aggregate it so all together. So much information. So blog aggregation, this kind of goes in the same boat as like uh, taking in all that information quickly. Instead of just navigating every single blog that you like, I really like having Feedly, which allows you to, to have up to 100 sources for free. So basically you just point Feedly at the blogs that you want to actually get the content from. And then instead of navigating every single one, it just puts it all in a nice little visualization for you and you kind of scroll through them and get all the new content in one place. And Mike's Feedly link is in there too. If uh, if you guys want to go check out, I think, how, how many sources did you have in there? Like what, 80 something? Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of blogs, but I do that. And it's really cool because it always shows the latest blog post like you were just saying up in front of me. So I mm. shared my, so if you go to my Feedly, I just, um, I made it public. It's a little old. So there's probably a lot of blogs that aren't on there that should be, but I'm probably going to go back to starting to, to do that. All right, so here's some books uh, that we kind of like and would recommend uh, for jumping in. Yeah, we'll just throw them in the slide deck. You guys can reference them later. But these are some pretty, these are ones, I think every one of these are in my my library, my digital library. So training is, is, is a big thing, right? Um, so there's there's paid training and there's free training. Um, paid training, uh, we have to give a shout out to Sands because, um, you know, honestly, John is the author of Sec504. The owner of our company. I have been to let's see. I have I have seven sanserts at this point, and I absolutely love the content that I get from every single course that I take from Sans. Like I have not had a bad course yet. It's basically they, they call it drinking from the fire hose, um, because you basically are sitting in a in a course for a week and getting you know the most content thrown at you you could possibly imagine in that week. But it's amazing content. Um, offensive security is another huge one. Um, so pen testing with Cali. And they have the free uh, Metasploit Unleashed course, which we'll talk about in the next one, next slide as well. But if you're into pen testing, offensive security is the way to go. Mike, can you talk about Tealtech? Yeah, just real quick. Um, so if you're in the government and you're doing any type of digital forensics or incident response, um, there's some really cool training for that's government only. It's kind of super advanced um, and it's a little technical, but they've got some pretty cool stuff for doing like JTAG chip off and system programming. And then I teach the Python for forensics class, which is kind of cool. Free training. There's a ton of resources out there to get free educational training in almost anything, really. I mean, um, so Microsoft has Virtual Academy. Um, I, I recommend this Network Fundamentals course if you've never touched a network device or, or don't know anything about networking at all and you're just getting into it. That's a good course. Code Academy has all kinds of different command line courses um, and, and coding courses. Udacity has the same thing. Metasploit Unleashed is great for uh, just running through some basic how to, how to use Metasploit. Mike, open security training that info. Man, I've done probably eight courses on there, and they have everything from beginner to advanced. I mean, everything from Windows exploitation to Linux exploitation, memory corruption. Um, they talk about like life of binaries is a, is a good one that I did where they talk about um, just the, the life cycle of, of binary files kind of across the board. They have reverse engineering malware, They ha and they have labs. They also have... Um, the slide decks and everything's open source, right? So that the whole idea behind it is these are open source lab trainings. It's like five day courses. They have all like high quality 1080p YouTube videos of the presentations. Mm -hmm. The majority of them are from MITRE, so you could expect some really awesome content from MITRE. Build a home lab is another huge thing. Being able to actually hack around with operating systems without breaking them is very important or without break, well, with breaking them, but not breaking your own system is what I mean. So you could just hack around on your own post OS and then end up breaking it and then having a really bad day. Or you could just virtualize all these different operating systems for, for free 
and then go about breaking them and not worry about killing your, your base workstation. <laughs> and the other thing <laughs> is with building a home lab, uh, there's a ton of vulnerable VMs out there. So there's like Metasploitable is uh, one of the more popular ones for learning how to how to use Metasploit. And then vulnhub.com has a ton of vulnerable virtual machines that people have built that are purposefully vulnerable that you can go ahead and hack, hack away at. Um, and make sure to check out Jeff McJunkin's presentation on building a home lab. I got the link there to his PDF. These slides will be posted later, right? Yes, yeah. yes, they will. So capture the flag, there's lots of capture the flags that are going. You can go to ctftime.org and kind of see all the latest capture the flags that are mm -hmm. running. They'll give you, you can add them to your calendar and be alerted of them. We personally, I think Bo and I met on the Sands Holiday Hack Challenge. Um, yeah, we did. And um, so we just so happen to be living in the same city and solving the same challenge. Pretty cool stuff. There's some awesome things to get involved with. Bug bounties are a great way. So there's Hacker One and Bug Crowd where you can go hack real live production systems, but make sure you stay in scope and get paid to do it. Um, with the security research, if you wanted to kind of dig into some of the security research, there's um, there's go grab some hardware. Um, you could buy some stuff off eBay, like some IoT devices. And then these are all cool, like little hardware components that you could buy to interact with like Bluetooth or Zigbee, like the wireless communications that some of these IoT devices make. But these are just a snapshot. You can throw them in the slide deck and go back and reference them. I pretty much bought all of these. I took the IoT exploitation from Adify training and they taught me how to dig into hardware hacking and it was super fun, awesome course. I highly recommend it, but we used all of these tools kind of within it, so. If you're brand new to anything security, like there's a, there's a lot of ways to go do some research. These are just a couple examples. If you want to learn about electronics and how it works, go grab like one of the Arduino kits. If you want to hack Wi-Fi, there's, you know, go on eBay, buy a bunch of old Linksys routers and set them up and teach yourself how to hack them. Cryptocurrency, if you want to like build your own smart contract, you can deploy to the test network without actually having like real Ethereum. So like there's a, there's a lot of ways. Um, That's how I learned how to build a smart yeah. contract. Okay, so there's a lot of different career paths if you're trying to get into InfoSec. And most of them are broken into whether you're a breaker, a builder, or a defender. Some of them cross over. Like I, I've been recently interested in, in the defender side because um, because I'm not really super good with it, right? So I want to learn more about it because it makes me better at what I do now. So I can I'm, I'm researching more on the defender side. But you could build if you're a software developer and you want to start you know building secure technologies you could become a security engineer there's all kinds of different stuff so just depending on what you like to do um, like whether you like writing code or whether you like actually putting your hands on the hardware there's all kinds of different ways that you can take your career path so these are just some of the, the examples that we had here um, and then I, I kind of wanted to just speak to two different audiences real quick I kind of did this on the last one I like to do this at the end of each presentation thing that I do so if you are a protege and you're looking to get into InfoSec, go to the conferences, do this, the speaking and the training, but make it about others, not your reputation and your followers. I know I spoke about this earlier on, but I think this is a huge, huge thing because it's gonna feed who you are and who your character is later on down the road once you become the skilled, qualified InfoSec practitioner that's actually pouring into other people. So if you start focusing on that now, that's it's huge because later on you can always change your skill sets but you can't always change your character and so as you're building your character and you're going in this direction because you're going to be building it one of the high that one of the things that i've always looked for whenever i was building out <clears throat> um, security teams was i want to know about their character we can always train on skill set like you can always learn a new technology and that's kind of by nature what you're supposed to be doing in this industry anyway but one thing that's really hard to change is your character. And if you have a wrong character and you're on a team, it can cause really bad dynamics. So you can walk all over the other people or you might be walked all over. And it's really hard to find your niche on a team 
if you're not secure in who you are. And I think you do that by really focusing on making it about others. So I just wanted to say that and kind of put that out there. The second one was actually something that Bo said to me that I think John said to him or somebody else mm -hmm. said to him one time. But you're not always trying to impress the wizards. You're just trying to impress the people that aren't the wizards. I, I remember how you said it to me because I've been in this industry since like 1997, right? In some shape or form, wasn't always pen tester, but I've always been under the radar and always been under the radar because I always carried the mindset of I have nothing to offer. I have nothing that I could offer. I have nothing to offer. So I would I would speak, but I would speak at unrecorded presentations. So I would speak at like UCF, but we wouldn't record it. Or I would speak at OWASP and we wouldn't make it available. So I would always give presentations, but I would never actually release them. And I would never contribute to open source community. I would always just, I would, I would leech open source all day. I would use open source all day, but I would never contribute back. I'd build on it, but I would never make pull requests. Um, and it was always because I always felt like I had to impress somebody. But when you said that to me, it really actually made a huge difference in my life because it actually made me realize, you know what, you do have a lot to offer and you're not always trying to impress wizards. So I just, I use that with when I'm speaking to people now because that's what you shared with me at Cigar City Sick. And then to organization leadership, I've been on both sides of this coin, pay to send your employees to conferences, fight for them to go to conferences, yeah, I know executive management's gonna say no and the budget's not there and CFO's gonna, you know, whatever, fight for them. Allow them to open source. That's a hard one to bite, I get that one. But if you can't let them open source, let them speak. Don't tell them they can't speak because that's horrible. It's a horrible thing that you're doing to the, the person in this industry. It's also actually affecting your bottom line. It's actually affecting your quality, your security of the organization. And then pay 100% of the employee training and don't go the cheapest route. Don't just go to the CEH because the CEH is the cheapest and you don't want to pay for the SANS training because SANS is most expensive. You're paying for what you get. If you're paying for cheap training, you're probably, you could probably Google it and YouTube it um, and they can learn it on their own. But that's not how you benefit the organization or your employee. And I'm saying this boldly to the organization leadership because I've been on that side where I had to literally fight tooth and nail in order to get people to go to DEF CON. It shouldn't be like that. And these are the senior security team of the organization. I shouldn't have to fight for people to go to DEF CON. Uh, I get you can't send your entire team, but some people you should have. And if you don't, they're gonna go anyway. They're gonna take their vacation time. They're gonna bankroll it out of their own pocket because it's only like 280 bucks minus the hotel rooms. They're gonna crash with their friends in their hotel rooms that already have hotels. And they're gonna land their next gig there. So I say that because if you don't equip your team, you're not equipping your business. If it's all about, if it's all about, well, I'm going to give them training and then they're going to leave. Well, no, if you don't give them training, they're going to get it anyway. And then they're going to leave. If you equip them, they're going to stay on your team. They're going to give back to the team. They're going to teach your other teammates and they're going to be happy to stay because they feel like that you care about them, that it's not all about the bottom dollar and that you actually care about them and their families because you preach family first. Mike, you like literally almost made me tear up. So awesome. Aww. You guys, I love your speech at the end. Really good content. A lot of people agree. I think there's some good stuff. That is it for this, guys. Thanks, Bye, guys. guys. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. Questions, comments? Email me, sierra at bhis.co. We love to hear from you. John Strand is not the grand pappy for Wild West Hackenfest this year. I was probably going to get fired if I used him again. So we used Potato Creek Johnny. And he has a matching beard with Bo. So that's awesome. His is much better. <laughs>
much better. <laughs> well, I mean, he's older. So if you just keep growing yours, Bo, there's hope. By the time I'm 80, it can be that epic. That's what you're telling yes. me. Yes. Saying there's, there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. Yes, there is. <laughs> Ian says, I'm glad you put the effort into growing your beard back out. That was the you know prim- primary. Uh, That's why he can't do any of these other things. He's busy growing. Yeah, priorities. See, like you, you could, I could spend all my waking minutes just trying to do all kinds of videos and stuff, or I could just work on this beard. You know, like it's priorities. 